What is going on? Welcome to the show. News Talk 1110 wbt Pete Callender here. The numbers are 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email uh, Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. You can also uh, hit me up on the Twitter machine. That is at Pete Callender. It's with a K and then an A and then an L and an I and an N and an E R. Okay. Uh, so today at two o'clock, Congressman Ted Budd will join us uh, for a segment. We'll chat about a couple of things, Afghanistan being one of them. Uh, I also see that uh, President Biden has got his uh, pay no attention to Afghanistan speech today scheduled. I think it's like at five o'clock. Uh, he's going to tell us more, I guess, about COVID. He's got six points. I think I heard Vince Coakley say that there's six points to the new Pay no attention to Afghanistan COVID plan that he's rolling out um, because seven would be too many and five is just not enough. Six is the sweet spot and it's going to be robust because that's what these times require of a six point plan. It has to be robust. Do you want a non-robust kind of plan? No, of course you don't. Robust plans all around. So uh, we'll see what that's all about later on this afternoon. Also, I noticed that the governor has announced at three, he's going to do a COVID briefing. I don't know if it'll be robust. I don't know if he's going to have six points or seven or five or what. I'm not sure. You never can tell with old Roy. He he gives a lot of head fakes. It comes back from his old basketball days which I was informed, I have no idea if this is true or not, so I might as well go ahead and spread the rumor, that uh, he, <laughs> that uh, his, his mom got him on the basketball team back in, what, high school, I want to say? There was a guy in Asheville, he claimed to have known this as a fact, whatever. So I just pass it along to you in case, you know, it's true. Maybe somebody could track that down. Ask Roy at a press conference or something. I will not be able to... Um, I will not be able to live tweet today, so I apologize for that. I usually bite the bullet, take one for the team, you know, pick your favorite metaphor there. I uh, I usually live tweet the the uh, COVID briefings so you don't have to listen to him and, you know, potentially bleed from your ears. So I watch them, and then I tweet out kind of, you know, what he's saying. And uh, I also use this, by the way, because I usually roll tape on it. I, I use this as a way to... Uh, essentially take notes during the briefing. So I now have a record of what he has said so I can go back and pull audio from it. So I'm going to have to just do that later. So I apologize ahead of time. I'm not going to be able to do that. I got to head over to uh, PhD weight loss actually and do my weigh in. So I'll let you know how that goes later. Fingers crossed. And um, I want to start though with a pretty important case happening. And it's been happening actually since 1997. In North Carolina. It's the Leandro case, the Leandro school funding case. And this thing has now gone completely off the rails. And the judge that was appointed in the case after the original judge retired, a guy by the name of Howard Manning, he retired. And now there's a fellow named David Lee. He's from Union County. He's a state superior court judge or former, I guess he is. Anyway, I guess he still is. They put him in charge of this case, and he's setting us up for a constitutional crisis. He's all, we we're already on the path, and a lot of people are completely oblivious to the implications of what's about to happen. 
because you've got one judge in this one case who is acting as if he is the legislative body. He is going to dictate, he is threatening the legislative body with, I guess, contempt of court. Legislative leaders, he's threatening them with contempt of court unless they adopt the Democrats' budget proposal for education. This is how insane the left has become. This is nuts. A couple of weeks back, uh, well, probably about two months ago now, I talked with um, Dr. Terry Stoops. He's the director of the Center for Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation. And uh, we went over, at that time, was the original threat. So if you actually back up several months, uh, probably now, well, yeah, probably about half a year ago now, the, the judge in the case, David Lee, said, hey, um, the education funding, you know, I would like to see it up at a certain level, and you got this big report, but I'm not in a position and I can't be directing the kind of funding, like let's let the legislature do what the legislature does. And Dr. Terry Stoops and myself, when we were talking about it about half a year ago, we were like, oh, okay, well, this is good, showing some restraint. Yes, recognizing the constitutional order of things that, you know, the legislative body has control of the uh, the budget, the purse strings, right? They direct the funding and the, they set the education policy and the budget. And a judge can't, you know, just come in and tell the legislature to do stuff. That was his original position. And then, I assume, after all of the left-wing pressure campaign began, the lead with Leandro, hashtag lead with Leandro, it's like terror, it's, yeah, terrible branding. I understand you tried to do the alliteration thing, but you couldn't quite get there. You had to stick a W right in the middle of it. But lead with Leandro. And so all these education activists and advocates and organizations Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, they're all pushing in this one direction and they're all posting. Just if you don't believe me, go check out on Twitter. There's a hashtag. Do you know what a hashtag is? Do I need to explain what the hashtags are? Like, no, I'm a giver. I'll tell you. It's like, so hashtags are just basically topics. And so you go on to social media, you type in the pound sign, the number sign, and that's what they call hashtags. And you just, th there are like all sorts of hashtags. And the one that I basically live on is N-C-P-O-L for politics, N-C-Politics. There's also N-C-Ed for education. There's uh, C-L-T-C-C, for example, which is Charlotte City Council. There's MEC-B-O-C-C, Mecklenburg County Commission, which, oh, my God, what are they doing last night? What was that about? Just out of nowhere, just like slapping masks on churchgoers, on congregants? Like, okay. Just like out of nowhere. Now, do not let traffic come at you out of nowhere is why you need to pay attention to Boomer Von Cannon. Every single word he says during his traffic reports is vital. Charlotte Observer reporting. It's actually the News and Observer, so let's just call it McClatchy. McClatchy reporting. A North Carolina judge is giving state lawmakers until mid-October to fully fund a plan for improving public education or else... He'll take direct action. Uh, this is the story by T. Kyung Hui. I think is how he pronounces that. A um, couple things he left out of the story. Number one, that the judge, W. David Lee, which I believe is William David Lee from Union County, 
a Democratic judge. He's a Democrat. I think that is important because he is telling the Republican legislature to adopt the Democratic proposal for uh, K-12 education spending. Like, specifically cites legislation that the Democrats have run that he says he wants to see adopted. For the children, of course. Um, also, there's quite the assumption here that this plan will improve education. See, this is what I told when, I think I talked about this, was it yesterday or day before? The built-in assumptions that reporters use when telling stories, right? The storytellers of our state, of our, uh, you know, the Capitol Press Corps and this sort of thing. The, the built-in assumption is that the Democrats are in it for purely the right reasons. That they're only trying to do what's best for all people. And these are investments. And we do this because we care. And the other side of that assumption, coin, is that the Republicans do not. Right? They are motivated by pretty terrible things. See, you can't, you can't approach political stories with an understanding that maybe people have different ideas about how to arrive at a similar destination. We can't have that. That would be insanity. Uh, but it is usually the truth. There's just a difference of opinion about the course we use to get to the place that we want to both be, which is a good education for kids, right? How do you best prepare kids for a future in our society? To be productive, to be happy, to be successful, to live their best life. How do you do that? That's the question. And simply disagreeing with your course doesn't mean that I hate kids, and it doesn't mean that I hate teachers, so what is the Leandro case? Let me see. I'm going to go ahead and try to play this audio. Yeah, I can get this audio clip in. This is Terry Stoops, the director of the Center for Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation. Leandro is a case that's been around since 1994. And uh, originally it was based on the idea that there were some districts that weren't get, getting a, enough money in their minds or an equivalent amount to some of the other districts. And and uh, through the years, it's evolved in, in various ways. It went to the Supreme Court a couple times. But right now, the case is, is sitting a, in a, a district court. It was remanded to a district court to be uh, uh, overseen by a judge. And the judge that's overseeing it right now is a guy by the name of David Lee. He's a retired judge. Previously, uh, Howard Manning was the judge that was overseeing the case, and and there were there were, seemed to be developments every year with Leandro because Judge Manning would drag the state uh, and put them on the stand and ask them tough questions. Well, when Judge Lee came to town and started overseeing this Leandro case. Um, and the idea that kids have a constitutional right to an opportunity for a sound basic education, uh, the plaintiffs and the defendants got together and they said, let's stop fighting. Let's uh, create a plan that the judge will agree to that we can implement. And that's when they hired a consulting firm from California called WestEd to develop this plan to uh, to somehow uh, come up with the ideas that would be necessary to meet the constitutional requirement for the opportunity for a sound basic education. And the price tag on this this plan is around eight billion dollars over the next eight years. The judge agreed to it. The plaintiffs and defendants agreed to it. 
And so now we're in that stage where they are trying to get the General Assembly to sign on to this, even though the General Assembly is not a party to the case. So this gets into a lot of tricky constitutional questions, a lot of questions about whether the plan that was put forth by this West Ed organization is any good, about whether the the uh, courts have a right to tell the General Assembly how much they can spend and what the role of the governor is in all of this, because there are some calls for the governor to step in and play a more active role. Right. So the uh, initially this point where the North Carolina General Assembly not listed as a defendant, I think we talked about this about a month ago because it smacks of the same sort of thing that we saw with the Board of Elections, that the sue and settle, the collusive settlements deal uh, that the Republicans were all up in arms about, that they they get sued or in this case, they're not even listed as, as a party. And then they get bound by a judge's order. And yet they had no input or ability to influence that order. It it smacks of sort of the same kind of tactic. Uh, I think that is. And and the tactic all along here with Leandro has been to try to find a way that doesn't require the General Assembly to extract more money from taxpayers. Because um, while there's a lot of uh, breathless appeals to the Constitution and about children's rights, the idea here, the central idea And it's a strategy that's pursued in many other states is to try to use the courts to compel legislatures to spend more money on public education by using these vague uh, uh, passages in constitutions and extrapolating a whole set of rights and responsibilities from them. Uh, This is just the latest uh, instance of this happening. It's been happening in other states. It's been happening in North Carolina uh, for for decades now. And now we're seeing what I believe to be the closest that we're coming to a constitutional crisis where the, the judiciary is openly threatening the General Assembly that if they don't act, then they will declare uh, declaratory relief, which means they, they will essentially try to use the courts to compel them to do so. Now, Judge Lee says, oh, I don't want to hold anybody in contempt, but dot, dot, dot. State Superior Court Judge David Lee from Union County said yesterday that he was very disheartened that the General Assembly is funding only a small part of a plan put together by a consultant. And really, if you can't trust a consultant to give you a great plan, who can you trust? The calls for at least $5.6 billion in new education funding by the year 2028 because money will solve the problem. That's what I've been told. It's all about the Benjamins and going the Benjamins going to the teachers because apparently we don't have great teachers. Like this is their this is not my argument. Look, this is not my argument. This is their argument that apparently we would have way better teachers if we raise teacher pay. Apparently, all the teachers we have now pretty terrible because we're not paying them enough. Well, that's the logic they're using. What? Oh, I know, I know. They don't say that. They don't say that the current teachers are all terrible. But what else am I to logically conclude? If you're saying that you can't get great teachers because of the pay. So we obviously have to pay more money. So all the teachers we have 
I guess they get fired. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're not going to get fired. So I don't understand. So we got to pay the teachers more to get great teachers, but we can't fire all the existing teachers. That's how this works. Something seems wrong here. Anyway, Lee said that if the plan is not fully funded by an October 18th court hearing, he'll entertain options for how the court may exercise its remedial powers to remedy this constitutional deficiency. This is why I say he's creating a constitutional crisis. We don't know how this is going to shake out, folks. There's no telling. He's he's trying he's trying to demand. He's trying to act as the legislature. He's going to force the legislature to adopt a level of spending that he sees fit. A single person, a single unelected judge. People wonder why I have such disdain now for the judicial system. All right, Dr. Terry Stoops from the John Locke Foundation. He is the director of the Center for Effective Education. Um, He says that the judge has actually refused to bring the legislature into this process. Judge Lee was invited by the Senate to discuss his views of Leandro and and ways that the legislature could work together uh, with the plaintiffs and defendants and the judge and talk about these issues, and he declined. Furthermore, it's worth noting that this plan was developed without consulting the General Assembly. There was at one point where WestEd claimed that they had contacted one of the prominent members of the North Carolina House to discuss this, but that turned out not to be true. Hmm. So they had every opportunity during the development of this comprehensive remedial plan to engage the General Assembly and say, hey, what, what do you guys think we should be doing? And instead, they were excluded from that process. So I believe that the judge is being pretty disingenuous here. Not only that, uh, it was just a few weeks ago that the judge urged the plaintiffs and defendants to work together with the General Assembly. And he openly stated that he was not going to force the General Assembly to spend the money. He was urging cooperation rather than competition. And weeks later, he comes out with an order that's just the opposite, where he's making threats uh, of the General Assembly. And and I think this is this is something that is uh, wildly inappropriate for a judge endorsing Democratic legislation, Mm -hmm. legislation that hasn't been signed on or supported by a single Republican. So he is laying bare, I believe, his biases in all of this and and certainly not giving the deference to the General Assembly and certainly not giving deference to the Republicans in the General Assembly, which control both the House and the Senate. You're right. He says in this order, he says that um, that he is given every reasonable deference, including deferring to the defendant's leadership in the collaborative development of the plan over the past three years. If the state fails to implement the actions described in the remedial plan, um, says then it will be the duty of this court to enter a judgment granting declaratory relief and such other relief as needed to correct the wrong. And I'm just kind of curious as to how he got here from what you just mentioned when we spoke last. We were you were praising him, right, saying, oh, you know, he recognizes the constitutional limits of his power. This judge does. And you praised him. Um, and and. What happened? It seems like he flipped. I guess we were premature in the praise. 
that's right. Uh, and, and I was I was openly praising him for recognizing the separation of powers that has been a central part of the North Carolina Constitution since 1776. So it's not like we're talking about a newfangled concept <laughs> here. We're talking about a fundamental principle that allows our government, our state government, and um, and our federal government uh, to work in, in various ways that ensure that uh, taxpayers' uh, dollars and rights are being protected. So uh, we we don't know is is the simple answer about why he got to this point. There's some speculation that perhaps pressure from the left, and the left has a huge group of well-funded organizations that have invested an incredible amount of time and other resources into trying to get the judge to be more forceful in forcing the General Assembly to fund this Leandro plan. Uh, perhaps uh, he gave in and caved to some of that pressure. Uh, perhaps he didn't like the way that he was being depicted uh, in the media. It could be any number of issues, but uh, without him explaining himself, and of course, without him really making himself available to discuss this, outside of the hearings that he schedules with the plaintiffs and the defendants, we'll never know. And the one thing you could always count on with the former judge that was overseeing this case, Howard Manning, is that he would talk to everyone and anyone about the case, the media. Uh, he, he was uh, open to talking to uh, individuals about where he stood in this case. Judge David Lee is not doing that, and therefore we have no idea what his thinking is when he signs orders like this. Right. So judges in other states have taken steps such as fining lawmakers and holding them in contempt of court in school funding cases like this. This is a concerted effort, folks. This is not something just happening in North Carolina. They've been doing it in other states. The left is on the march on this stuff. Of course, this is never framed as any kind of a you know, national kind of effort, coordinated. No, that's what Republicans do. See, Republicans do coordinated bills against CRT. The left never coordinates this kind of stuff. So a Superior Court judge, William David Lee, out of Union County, Democrat, now in charge of the Leandro funding lawsuit. This case... Like from 1994, this was uh, it was a case uh, named after a student who actually is now like fully grown. He's a lawyer for a, a, a firm. I think I think he's in Charlotte. Um, but um, he was a student from Hoke County, and they sued, saying that the state was not spending enough money in the poor counties to provide the education that is guaranteed under the North Carolina Constitution, and it was in that. Uh, trial in that hearing, in that process, that Howard Manning came up with this sound basic education uh, uh, vocabulary. That's not in the state constitution. Sound basic education is not in the constitution of North Carolina, but it was in the, the, the court case. So when Howard Manning retired, the Supreme Court of the state assigned the case to this judge, David Lee. And in June... He approved a seven-year plan agreed to by the State Board of Education, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper's administration, and the plaintiffs, who, by the way, over the course of, you know, 30 years, 
uh, they've included like Charlotte Mecklenburg schools became a party to this case. Like everybody jumped on the bandwagon because they were like, oh, this is a good way for us to get money. Um, I remember going up there and going up to Raleigh and covering the day in court when former uh, CMS superintendent Jim Pusley was put on the stand to testify about why Charlotte Mecklenburg schools test scores were so terrible. Um, And so in June, the judge approves this plan that was put together by some consultants group called West Ed. They're out of California. Um, So not only is is the state legislature not a party to the lawsuit, but uh, they did not have any opportunity to review the West Ed plan to critique it or to vet it. Here's Dr. Terry Stoops again, the director of the Center for Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation. And if you examine the plan, you find uh, uh, mistakes, you you find policy directives that are not clear, you find um, programs that have no uh, research basis. I mean, you find many, many problems with the plan and the Westhead report that it's based on. And I think that uh, had it been subject to a more rigorous review, perhaps the General Assembly would, would take it seriously, but it's hard for them to take seriously because... Everything has been happening inside the courtroom, in, uh, behind closed doors, with organizations that have failed to reach out with the General Assembly. And so there's really no incentive for them to really just give up the power that is provided to them by the North Carolina Constitution and allow the judge to dictate the funding of multiple programs and initiatives that, in my mind, uh, haven't been proven to raise student achievement, which is really the underlying issue here. We shouldn't just be spending money for the sake of spending money, but if we have evidence that there are programs that raise student achievement, we should be funding those. And you find in this plan that there are some that do, some that don't, and some that uh, with the with the uh, jury still out on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the uh, some of the examples uh, listed here. It, it, this is an article in the News and Observer. Uh, the plan calls for pay raises, of course, for teachers and principals. Uh, additional state funding to expand the pre K program. Hire more teacher assistants. Hire more school nurses. Hire more school social workers. Hire more school counselors. In case you haven't noticed, there's a theme here. Right? It's just it's just to grow the size of the K twelve education system. I thought. Um, Senator Dina Ballard uh, from Watauga County, Republican, co-chair of the Education Committee. Um, like, this is not language you generally hear from state lawmakers directed at judges. She said a court has no more authority to direct the legislature to spend money or enact policy than the legislature does to direct a trial judge how to decide a case. And if Judge Lee wants a say in education policy, he can run for the state legislature. That's the only way his opinions will have any weight. Um, and Because I'm trying to imagine the precedent now for this. If you have a judge that can just decide to mandate funding levels, then what's the purpose of the state legislature when it comes to uh, setting the budget? That's right. And, and think about this from a, the perspective of voters. Here is an unelected judge uh, that is directing the state to do something rather than the elected members of the General Assembly, the 170 people that the people have elected to represent them in Raleigh. Uh, so, you know, from a representative standpoint, uh, 
this is a real affront to the entire representative democracy that we have here. So, you know, from that point of view, uh, I, I think Deanna Ballard is, is absolutely right. She's really been a, a warrior on this issue. Um, but it, it's worth going back to to looking at the role of the governor here, because what some people are saying, and, and this this did happen, that under Gover Governor Easley's administration, mm -hmm. he went and took money and he spent it. He, he directed it toward the pre-K program when the General Assembly refused to do so. And so now there is a call for the judge to tell the governor that he has the right to reach his hand into the pot and take as much money as required to meet the court, uh, the, the court's directive. Now, I think that's an even more dangerous precedent. And we had a recent case where the court said, no, the governor doesn't have the right to spend the money. This is in uh, Cooper v. Berger. This was the case where the governor claimed that he could he had uh, access and could spend federal grants that were given to the state. And in an appellate court decision, Judge Inman, a Democrat, said absolutely not. This is the the primacy of expenditures is a, is the power that has been endowed by the uh, Constitution since the genesis of the state. And it is the North Carolina General Assembly that retains that power. So here is a ruling that said, no, the judge or the, the, the governor, excuse me, has no right to take this money, has no right to say that they, he is entitled to spend the money it is the role of the General Assembly, but there are there's so much pressure to try to get a runaround, a workaround from the General Assembly that there are some saying that uh, the governor holds the key into trying to extract taxpayer dollars that constitutionally he has no right to spend. He has no right to spend constitutionally. Again, this is an interview that I did with Dr. Terry Stoops uh, several weeks ago, well, a couple months ago now. The judge in this case says, I don't want to hold anybody in contempt here, but I far prefer to go another route. But it wouldn't be a stretch, even at this point, for the court to find beyond a reasonable doubt a continuing and willful conscious refusal and neglect to follow the Constitution of this state. So he's going to induce a constitutional crisis by ignoring the constitutional separation of powers to do so. This makes perfect sense in leftist world.